Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the. <laughs> you can't do that, man. You got you're making me laugh. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Dave Zizzle Hour. <laughs> Oh, uh, yeah. What's All Dave right. Zizzle doing? Is he still clinging to the I haven't to checked. the rim of the toilet I gotta, there? I gotta go back and see if Dave Zizzle is thoroughly discouraged by uh, <laughs> being called out or not. I don't know. Uh, no, uh, seriously. Um, welcome. Good afternoon. Uh, we're, this is the Vegas Gang Podcast for March twenty second, two thousand twelve. Um, our show is a roundtable discussion show. We talk about stuff about casinos in Vegas and Macau and the rest of the world. And, of course, as you've already surmised, we are the smartest people in the entire world. Um, so let me introduce these smart people to you. Uh, let me go around the table. Here we go. We got Chuck Monster, the editor-in-chief at VegasTripping.com. What's happening, Chuck? Hunter, I have, a, uh, I have something to admit. My table is not round. It's actually kind of <laughs> rectangular with, with a bite taken out of it. Well, see, this is this show is uh, occurs in the theater of the mind, and oh. so the table can be whatever shape okay. you want. You know. Okay. Well, beyond that, good afternoon, ladies. <laughs> excellent, excellent. Um, Dr. Dave Schwartz, who is the director of UNLV's Center for Gaming Research and the most quoted man in Las Vegas. Hey, Dave. Good afternoon, gentlemen. Um, my name is Hunter Hillegas, and I make the Vegas Mate iPhone app. Um, welcome to the show. We have. Um, some announcements right off the top. So really an announcement, and that is that uh, the second annual Vegas Internet Mafia Family Picnic is going to take place Saturday, October 13th. Um, we're giving you plenty of notice this time, so you have no excuse. Last, you know, <laughs> Planning these things is hard, and, and last year um, you know, getting everything together took longer than we wanted, and some people didn't have quite as much time as they had hoped to make their plans. So uh, we are hopping on it this time and giving you plenty of notice. And we don't have all of the details worked out, so there's still a lot to announce. But you can uh, count on that date, even if it means we'll be pitching a tent in front of uh, Paris to um, you know, do some show and tell. So uh, <laughs> ideas, ideas. Um, yes. So October 13th, you can go to VegasInternetMafia.com to get the – to take a look at the wonderfully designed um, poster that Chuck has put together for the event, and we will have a lot more to say about it as it gets closer. But uh, we really hope to see you there. It was a lot of fun last time. It's always fun yeah. to meet the people that are listening and reading and tapping. So, um, you know, it, we really hope you can come, and um, we're planning to uh, have a great time. Am I missing anything? I don't think so. I think you have uh, covered all the salient points of the Vegas Internet Mafia. Oh, oh one more thing, actually. Uh, the, the official name of, of, of this thing, event, is the new VIMP. 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 The, the new Vimp. The oh, new I, I get it. Vimp. I get it. The new, <laughs> the get new it. Vimp. I get it. It's not Vimp 2. It's right. the new the Vimp. The new Vimp. Uh, parenthesis, vimp. second generation. Um, exactly. Yes. No. I'm. I'm with you on that. Yes. Uh, yes. You're foreshadowing my uh, my sure bet, but that was probably expected. Anyway, we'll talk about the iPad later. 
Um, we're going to jump right in and talk about uh, Atlantic City. Uh, and actually, I want to talk about um, Dennis Gomes. But, but, first, but first, I want to talk a little bit about re- gaming revenues, because Dave, you just moments ago updated the revenue report yes. for AC, and it's pretty sad. So tell me, how terrible are things in Atlantic City? It is very, very sad. I am opening the report right now. If you're a fan of Thomas the Tank Engine, it's kind of like the sad story of Henry. And I could actually write something which would touch on some of the very same themes that were explored in the sad story of Henry, such as not listening to what other people tell you, are apropos to this, too. Basically, the headline (laughs) is that... Can we get some Bruce Springsteen going in the background? <laughs> uh, the headline is that – what was that? I was sending you a secret chat message to tell oh. you to back off the mic a little bit. Oh, okay. <laughs> All right. If I had that window on Skype. Stage oh, directions uh, yeah. <laughs> visible on the left side. <laughs> right. not, on, not on the way my Skype is configured. Uh, I've just got – well, whatever. Anyway. Okay, now I've done it. Okay. Is that better? Much better. Okay. We're going to cut all this part, right? No, we'll keep everything. (laughs) Okay. So anyway, the headline would be that since 2006, Atlantic City Casino revenues have fallen more than 36%, which means the market has shrunk by more than a third. So there's really no nice way to spin this. You know, the market is definitely in decline. The decline was a little bit less in 2011 than it was in 2010, but it was still about a 7% decline, which is not good. And you've got a new casino opening, Revel, within a matter of a few weeks. So logic will kind of dictate that if you've got shrinking revenue, new casino opening, unless it's a build-it-and-they-will-come thing like it's 1993 in the Strip or 1999 in the Strip, you are probably going to see some other casinos close. Yeah. So that is pretty much it in a nutshell. Um, one of our listeners, uh, Paolo, was on Twitter asking you, Dave, about this, and the sort of the, was an associated story about Foxwoods. And the question was, you know, is the number of customers in that region is it finite? I mean, is it the kind of thing where a new casino can open and the market will be grown, or is there just there are a certain number of gamblers in the, in the Northeast, and um, there are just too many places? Yeah, I would. I've always said that. The market for any kind of gambling is finite. I've kind of just looked at this in the big picture saying, well, there's, I guess, six billion or so human beings on the planet Earth. We do not have a Stargate or, you know, some kind of warp hub to get people from the Gamma Quadrant here to gamble or the Ferengi Alliance. <laughs> so we have to rely only on people, human beings on the planet Earth. You know, there's a finite number of them. Of that, there's also a finite number of those people who would choose to gamble in a casino. Again, not everybody does. And out of that number, there's an even smaller percentage of people who are within geographical range of where your casino is and have the means to travel there. Now, in some markets, it's very big. So in Las Vegas, it's about a 39 million person visitation market, 40 million person market. Atlantic City, it's been shrinking. It's a lot smaller. And places like Foxwoods, more of the regional casinos, the the real 
bottleneck isn't airlines or visa restrictions like it is in Vegas. It is just how many people live in that driving radius. So unless there's going to be a huge population boom in Connecticut, Boston, New York, you know, you wouldn't really expect to see the number of gamblers in that part of the country increase. You know, now you might have some people substituting gambling behaviors where they would have been buying more lottery instant tickets. Now they're going to be playing slots. But, you know, I don't really see how you can just keep growing that number magically. Right. So then all of these Boston casinos or Massachusetts casinos that we keep hearing about, you know, Wynn is wanting to build one uh, in Foxborough, which is not going well for him. And the other potential licenses they're talking about, I mean, that will just make this situation worse. Yeah. You know, I think Pennsylvania has really demonstrated that. If you look at Atlantic City uh, and Pennsylvania, you can really see that... This is Dr. Dave. Yes, Noah. Casinos are drinking. Yes. My phone off the hook. But you, you know, I've I, yesterday in my casino history class, I talked about Atlantic City, and I closed it with a little chart showing the Pennsylvania gaming revenue since 2006 and Atlantic City gaming revenue since 2006, and both the numbers are kind of coming together in this little funnel, and it seems pretty inevitable that in 2012 or 2013, they're going to intersect. So it's pretty obvious where one market is growing, the other one is shrinking. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think Atlantic City really makes a case for the fact that there's a finite number of people. You know, now, if they can reinvent the city, and if Revel is starting to draw people who would have gone to Las Vegas or who would have gone on a trip to a non-gaming destination, you know, the Caribbean or something, then you can grow the market. But if you're just saying, I want, you know, Penny slot, nickel slot players, uh, $10 a hand, uh, blackjack players, and that's it. That's all I want. People who live within two or three hours of here, that is definitely a finite market, and you're not going to do well, as they're not doing well in Atlantic City. But does that does that sound remotely plausible, the idea that Revel's going to reinvent the market? I mean, Revel looks like Aria by the Beach to me, based on the photos I saw. Yeah, I think it does. You know, I think they've got some interesting things in there. I definitely want to give them a shot. And historically, if you look at what was going on 30 years ago, it, you know, 1982, Atlantic City casinos make more money than Vegas Strip casinos. And they keep on doing that until 1999. You know, in the early 80s, it looked like Atlantic City was a place that was in the ascendancy that was going to be on the upswing. And it looked like Las Vegas was in the decline. So it's really interesting. You can turn this around. It takes a lot of capital investment. You have to convince Wall Street people and lenders to give you money to build projects. And, you know, it takes a lot of hard work. It can be done. You know, the question is, you know, you look at who owns casinos there. Caesars Entertainment owns about 40% of the market. Are they going to want to invest that much or are they just going to kind of let it continue to shrink? Right. You know, obviously Boyd with Borgata has done a lot. You know, Caesars also has done a lot with their Harrah's, you know, excellent property that I would put up against anything in the strip. You know, uh, Revel obviously is doing something big. Resorts, and this will lead into our next topic, was doing some really interesting things. So, you know, some people are innovating. Some people are trying new things. The question is, are you going to get that critical mass? Imagine Imagine if in the 80s, in the 90s, you just had Steve Wynn with the Mirage, the Excalibur, and then maybe three years later, Venetian opened, and you didn't have anything, any of that other new, any right. of the other new casinos coming online. How popular would Las Vegas be today? Not very. I yeah. just, it just seems like this is going to be really tough mountain for them to climb, given that capital is not exactly free flowing. I mean, yeah. there was an opportunity to do a lot of building a few years ago when you know, this, any, when, when a homeless person could get a mortgage, 
And mm-hmm. uh, that obviously has changed. And so now they basically have to, um, against all odds, redefine themselves. It seems like chances of that are pretty much close to zero. Yeah, and then you look at a property like the former Golden Nugget, Bally's Grand, the Grand of Bally's Resort, Atlantic City Hilton, ACH, and the newest incarnation is the Atlantic Club Casino and Hotel, where they pretty much say, we are going to go for low-level players, we're going to go for you know pretty much value-seeking players, and we're going to go after locals. You know, And there's a reason why nobody's ever really made a lot of money going after Atlantic City locals, which is that you know there's about... 40,000 people or so live in Atlantic City, maybe another 30,000 on the rest of Absecon Island. And, you know, I don't even know, couldn't even guess how many, maybe a total of 100,000 in that little area around there. And then, you know, the Pine Barrens around Atlantic City are not very heavily populated. So it's not like Las Vegas where the locals market is 2 million people. Your locals market is maybe 150,000 people if we're being generous, of which again, you know, you figure half of them aren't of gambling age or don't want to gamble, you know, so maybe you've got 30,000 gamblers in there. And how much are they going to, you know, how much are they going to gamble? How often are they going to gamble? So I don't know. That's a really tough sell. Right. And wish them luck, but it, there's a reason why people have not done this before. <laughs> well, and speaking of, you know, people and their impact on Atlantic City, um, you know, Dennis Gomes, uh, I'm pronouncing that right, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, you know, he was a longtime operator in Atlantic City. He had worked for pretty much everybody and was doing was now sort of doing his own thing at resorts. You know, he unexpectedly passed away at the end of February. And... Um, this is this is one of those guys whose name would come up again and again if you're looking at gaming history. I mean, he had uh, worked uh, in the Nevada Gaming Control Board. Um, he was like, uh, you know, uh, a character based on him was in the movie Casino. I mean, like he he uh, he is a prominent was a really prominent figure and um, was seemed like was on track to do some interesting stuff at resorts. And so it's just a huge loss. To see somebody like that leave the industry. I mean, this guy worked at the Golden Nugget, worked at uh, at the Taj Mahal. I mean, he he worked everywhere and for everybody. He had a ton of experience, and it's just a huge loss. Am I wrong? You're absolutely right. You know, he had a really interesting career. He started out on the enforcement side, and as you said, was one of the people who was, you know, busting the mob in the casinos and getting them out. And you know, was featured in the movie Casino. Then went, in, then got hired from Nevada to New Jersey to run their um, first gaming investigations unit, and was the guy who investigated Resorts International and kind of put together their. You know, New Jersey's investigative apparatus. There's some interesting stories about him. You know, one time when they were investigating resorts, which had the casino in the Bahamas, he and a couple other agents went down to the Bahamas and actually raided the cage and, you know, pretty much did this raid and, you know, seized these records and things, which is probably of dubious international legal, probably on dubious, dubious authority there. I mean, could you imagine if somebody from, Macau, you know, the Macau gaming regulators came over to the strip and, you know, walked into the, right. into Wynn and closed that casino down and, you know, we're doing stuff. So kind of interesting. But again, this is, there is more cowboy stuff going on back then and they did it. So very interesting career. Then he goes into the management side. He ran the, um, I'm probably leaving a couple of people here out, but he worked for Hilton Hotels, 
running the Flamingo Hilton and the Las Vegas Hilton, worked for the Dunes, worked for Steve Wynn, the Golden Nugget, then got lured out to work for Donald Trump. And that was when I first met him. When I first started working at the Taj in 94, he was the president. So it wasn't like we had lunch together, but, you know, I knew who he was and this is a guy on top. And, you know, I've got to say he, it was a, it was a great place to work. You know, I definitely enjoyed working there and a lot of that comes from the top and the culture you create. Um, after that, he moved on to the Tropicana and turned them around on his, uh, Gomes Gaming Consulting, they had a little chart showing the profits of the places and the revenues of the places while he was there and then after he left. And you can just see the Taj after he left kind of fell off a cliff and then Trop after he left. And that's when Columbia Sussex got into it and we all know what happened there. They totally fell off a cliff. So he was very successful at the properties he was at. Um, then got the money um, to buy the buy resorts, which had been owned by Colony Capital, and you know we've heard a lot about their misadventures and right. and their missteps here, especially with the Hilton here. So it had been owned by them. They basically surrendered it to the lenders. Uh, he stepped up and put together a team of people and bought it, and he was running it and was trying some new stuff, some really different stuff. First gay nightclub in a casino uh, that he did there in Atlantic City and got a lot of press for that. And I think really was the kind of person who had a lot of ideas and wanted to change the city. Um, a friend of his shared a story with me that I think it's okay to share. Um, the friend was a gaming consultant and he asked him to run some numbers and he said, you know, there's, he was looking at two properties, resorts and Trump Marina. And the guy said, without a doubt, Trump Marina is a better deal, easier to turn around. You know, this will make a ton more sense. Um, they didn't speak. And then, as you know, Gomes bought resorts. And they next spoke a couple months later. And Dennis looked at him and said, well, yeah, he's like, so you read my report. You didn't listen to me. He said, yeah, you know, resorts was the bigger challenge. Mm-hmm. And that's what I wanted to do. So, you don't see too many people like that with that spirit in Atlantic City that are willing to walk into the market that they know is a declining market, take on a property that they know has problems, and take on that challenge and really thrive in it. And that's what he was doing. So I think the city is really going to miss him. Yeah. Well, it sounds like that from everything that's been written um, since since his passing. I mean, it's just, you know, it's obviously uh, – Really, uh, quite a shame that um, Atlantic City won't have somebody like him around to, you know, especially in a time when they need uh, new ideas and people that are really committed to the city. They need them more than ever. Mm-hmm. To, to lose him is, uh, is a big loss. Yeah. Um, we're going to swing from Atlantic City back to uh, Las Vegas and talk about the. Uh, Talk about downtown. Talk about uh, Fitzgerald's and the property formerly known as Fitzgerald's and uh, Golden Gate. They are, um, you know, they both are were ha, are run by. Well, I think the Stevens brothers have taken a, a financial interest in both properties. And um, the most interesting recent news is that Fitzgerald's is now the D Las Vegas. <laughs> Um, which, you know, if we're going to have a category for worst name, I think it's definitely got to be on the list. Um, but this was long rumored, right? This was not a big surprise. They uh, unveiled it just recently, but, um, you know, a lot of – there have been a lot of leaks surrounding the name, so it wasn't like a, a big shock. Um, my understanding is that they're they're starting to change signage already, um, that it's uh, – you know, they're 
they're working on, on transitioning it over and they have some more long-term plans to do room renovations and some casino renovation. And they, uh, Tim and Michelle at Five Honey by Midnight have talked about this a lot. And Tim did an interview with, um, with Derek Stevens just recently. And, you know, they uncovered a lot of good info about what they're planning to do. Now, of course, it's going to take some time to make this all happen. Um, the interesting thing is that he's also involved in a project at the Golden Gate where they're adding some suites and reorganizing their casino floor a little bit. That place is, if you've ever been in there, you know it's really tiny and did not, didn't have a, a lot of rooms. And so they're adding a few and um, expanding it a little bit. Still not going to be much bigger than a post stamp, but it's uh, it's going to be a little bit bigger. But it's interesting. This guy is, you know, spending money downtown, which we've seen more and more of in the, in the past few years, people making investments down there. Um, but it's interesting to see... Uh, investment being made down there. Do we think that the D Las Vegas is going to be a big hit? Chuck, I would la- I will ask you this question. Are, how, ex- how excited are you about the DLV? You know, I'm, uh, I'm so excited about it that I haven't even posted about it on VT. <laughs> uh, and, and, and here's why and I, and it's petty and stupid, but, but this is, this is the way my brain works. When I saw first saw the the name the D and I saw the logo of the D, it it just looks like a, it looks like another. It just, it's cheap. It's cheesy. It's bad. It's like it has no taste. It has no you know. It's it's basically just a font. Right. You know, and any logo designer knows you just don't take a, a font and you you know. It's Parisian something or other is the name of the font. I can't remember exactly the name of it, but you know, it takes two seconds to make that logo, and and that that they didn't fully figure out to the brand the place with with a real serious kind of thought. Uh, the name seems like very sort of flip to me. Um, I'm 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 you know just, this is like sticking your your big toe in the water and saying I'm never going swimming, but uh, it's it's it's. I, I, something about it, man. It's like, okay, we got the press release. We got the hype machine started last week and yada, yada, yada. And they trotted the guy out to talk to everybody. And, you know, it's great that he talked to Tim and Michelle. I think that he gets a lot of kudos for that for sure. But I don't know, man. I'm just – I'm really, really skeptical that this is going to be anything more than just a, a slightly polished – Fitzgeralds. I hope they prove me wrong, but my gut says that I'm not going to believe it till I see it. You know, I, Dave, I definitely want to get your take on it, but mm-hmm. I just want to say I, I totally get where you're coming from, Chuck, and I, I, I think you're right. Like, I can imagine after seeing that logo, you know, the next thing I would expect to see is a bunch of, like, stock photography used in a cheesy ad. Right. Just if that that it's that kind of vibe, right? And and the interesting mm-hmm. thing about this dude that I'm gleaning from these interviews that I've heard is like, you know, he's seems excited about what he's doing, but there's I don't know, there's just something missing. I'm not sure what it is. It just and uh, this may be an unfair characterization because I've never met him, but um it's just I don't know. It it I like the idea that it's not a faceless corporation. I he, that it's I think it's always more interesting when we know the people that are doing this stuff and we can sort of personify the work a little bit, but there's something about it. I, I'm not sure. I, I am not excited about the D Las Vegas. You know, when they threw out the, uh, the news that the plaza was going to close and they're going to renovate it. 
you know, I, I think we're all pretty kind of skeptical. Is it ever going to open again? I think we had a big, you know, heated discussion about this, you know, but it wasn't until they started leaking, like, some of the designs and things, and, you you know, you'd say, okay, you know, I think I see where this is going, and they got the they got the tasteful stuff from Fontainebleau to sort of furnish the place. You know, if they're, you know, just because you have a bunch of money doesn't mean you have taste and that is what is kind of lacking and it's a visceral thing i just don't feel it at this point i'll have to go there and check it out for my own you know cellular level to see if 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 they really do have taste in the way that they're designing and refitting this place but right now you know based on sticking my toe in i don't want to stick my toe in there no more (laughs) They, they talked about upstairs having some more some classic older machines, vintage machines, you know, coin machines, stuff like um oh man, now I'm forgetting the name of the game. Uh the most famous game of all time. Anyway, um Sigma Derby. Sigma Derby, yep, that's the Wheel one. Of Fortune. Yeah. yeah. Uh so um you know, but, you know listen, you know, the but- Whiskey Pete's has that and, you know, not some whiskey pizza, the gold strike or something, whatever the one in Gene is. And they say, you know, you can feel the, our, our slots play coins. You can feel your winnings, you know, like I don't get that. I don't buy that retro bullshit, you know, that our, our coins play slots. Therefore, it's like cool and stuff, you know, because it's aggravating. After after one time of doing it, you don't ever want to go back to having coins. Your fingers get dirty and all that junk, you know, no, none of that. No, thank you. Get some get some new machines. It's like it's polishing a turd. It's rebranding a turd. It's like saying, hey, this is the best turd you've ever seen in your life. You know, it's, it's last week's turd. You're going to love it. <laughs> um, uh, Dave, are you down with the D? I'm not, I'm not down with the D. You know, I don't – the font reminds me of something, like some kind of department store. I don't know which one. It's got – it's but, slightly Art Deco. Yes, that's it. It reminds me of, you know, kind of the Shore Mall in uh, outside Atlantic City in like circa 1980. That would make sense. And kind of that, that's the feeling I get. Like I'm waiting to go into Steinbach's and I see this place. <laughs> Anybody who is familiar with the old Shore Mall there, um, that was one of the places. I don't really, yeah. You know, I, first of all, it's not a name that is really easy to Google or anything like that. No. Second just, of all. I just tried that, by the way, and I they're, mm-hmm. they're like the 13th result. I will say this. You know, at first I thought that M was a lousy name for a casino. Uh-huh. But I actually love that place. So they actually, even though I was not very big in that name, I really like the casino. And it's good enough to overcome it. So I'm not going to say that I'm categorically opposed to this kind of name. But I just don't think, you know, being that it's some kind of inside joke because the owners, you know, people call the owner the D or Mr. D or whatever. And that it refers to Detroit. It's like, well, it doesn't really do anything. It also doesn't really seem to fit in with the rest of downtown, which seems to be, you know, to me, downtown is value play, unpretentious, good times. So, you know, lots of neon, lots of beer, loud music, yep. not really this kind of, it seems like they're trying to go somewhat Cosmo mod looking, but not totally. So I don't know. I don't, I don't really get it from that perspective you know it just, i it just feels cheap to me i don't understand and i never it just <laughs> it just feels cheap i don't it yes. doesn't 
it doesn't it looks really ghetto. I don't it's just yeah. no good. No good. Yeah. You know, I if, if somebody gave me the keys to the place, I would probably say go back to Sundance and make it more of a vintage Vegas type thing in a little bit of a, I don't know, kind of more subtle way, you know, because it was named the Sundance the when it opened. It's Something like that. The name. the name is wrong. It's not, it's, the name's wrong. It's, yeah. it's, it's I get, yeah, I understand the, the reasoning fine. That's great. But the anything ironic is not going to work. You have V Hotel. Now, listen, a knucklehead like me can go do a V something because we're kind of making fun of, we're talking about Vegas. Mm-hmm. When you're in Vegas and you call yourself V anything, you know, you're, you're evoking the property at the opposite end of the strip. You know, you, that's, that's, it's, it's, a bad, it's a bad idea. They should have thought it out. The branding is kind of off. And I, and I hope that, you know, they've, the, the rest of it, doesn't doesn't uh, have the same misfortune. I mean, I, I'm I'm af- you know after knocking the whole concept. I mean, I think it's great that they're going to put money into fixing the rooms. From my I have uh, my understanding is that the rooms there are in pretty bad shape and really need oh, yeah. really need the upgrade. So that's great. Um, but I just there's something about it. I don't know. It does it does not excite me. I I went from not caring about Fitzgeralds to not caring about the D. Which is not, I assume, their intention. Yeah, you know, I think with a better name they could do something. And it's good that they're putting money into it. It's good that they're putting money into the Golden Gate and adding some rooms there and doing some stuff. I mean, that's encouraging. But, yeah, like, uh, you just kind of need to execute it right. Now, I think what's interesting is, you know, we're going to see the Lady Luck come back online at some point. The Grand, downtown Grand. (laughs) Is that more interesting to you guys than the D? I think they've got the you know, name problem too. I actually forgot too. about it. <laughs> I think frankly, I think they've got a name problem too. Yeah. Because when you say Grand in Las Vegas, you kind of think MGM Grand. Yeah. Right. And I don't see how that gets very far. <laughs> I'm surprised they haven't been sued. I mean, I guess because they yeah. haven't, haven't opened yet. But there's, I would expect I there's, a cease and desist order sometimes. I think there's a, a case to be made for a con- marketplace confusion. I mean, yeah. it's too close to MGM Grand. Yeah, you one would assume that oh, it's the MGM Grand downtown, right? It's the downtown yeah. Grand as opposed to the Strip Grand, right? I think no. I think they would have a. I, it seems I don't know. Out of all the names, all to to be had, it just. Why could like, you not call something the downtown Bellagio? <laughs> yeah, true. Right? I I don't know. I think um, I for for whatever reason I'm slightly more interested in that project, uh, but. Um, maybe that's just because it's been closed for so long. It's, it, uh, I think is, I mean, Fitzgerald's, it sounds like they're basically gonna, you know, put in some new carpet and, and, uh, renovate, renovate a bar. Um, I mean, that, that just doesn't sound interesting to me at all. With all the bars downtown. (laughs) So, (laughs) I mean, I don't know. I, I, it's, I, I base sounds like I basically have the same, um, The same feeling as as you guys, not uh, not too interested, but of course, um, we'll see. I'll definitely check it out when it opens. Walk through, check it out, see mm-hmm. what's up. Um, so let's see. So moving on from that, uh, what should we talk about next? I want to briefly talk about um, WinLasVegas dot com because we spent a lot of time talking about it when it was first redesigned, uh, lamenting how terrible it was and. 
um, how out of touch Wynn was with the world and how it was a sort of a, a view into how some of that decision-making works. Now, of course, then a week ago, two weeks ago, you know, we, we, uh, find that they have replaced it all completely again <laughs> with a new website. So, hmm. uh, you know, I'm Chuck, I'm sure you have an opinion on this. I'm curious. Do you think that they literally scrambled to build this in the time from the negative reaction? Or do you think that this was like someone's backup plan that got activated or an old design that was never done? I mean, do you think that, they really were surprised at the negative reaction and then in that inter- intermediate time built this? That's a good question. I'm going to – I don't know if they could have gotten all that together in such a short period of time. Um, it's a pretty simple website. You know, It doesn't – once you get one of those pages together – uh, and pass the variables for the CSS or the JavaScript to uh, do that background image, yada yada yada. You know, the the rest of it kind of will take care of itself. You know, once you get the architecture together. But um, in terms of the design, I'm willing to bet that they had a, you know, they had something else lined up, and they showed it to Steve, and he said no, and I want this and this and this and this, and they decided to go back to what they had previously because, you know, it was only a month or so, right. you know, and, and a, a, a big organization like that can't move that fast. I can't even, I can't redesign VT. It'll take me eight months to do it at this stage of the game. It's too big, right. you know, so. So what do you think? I mean, improvement? I think it's a vast improvement. I think it's, uh, it's actually like a black negligee, you know, it's, I think it's, uh, it's got some problems. Uh, I don't. I I find the background images to be distracting, and the way that they're cropped, it makes everything kind of off center in the viewport. Um, uh, the typography, I have bits and pieces of issues with. Like I wish it was a little bigger. You know, I'm getting older every day, and my vision is exponentially getting worse, just like Steve's. Uh, you know, so I, I like a little bigger fonts these days. But uh, you know, for the most part, I think it's great. I think that I think it's clean, and I'm glad that there's no flash. You know, it makes me happy. And no, Steve Wynn yapping. They should get rid of the Sinatra, though. Get rid of the 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 sound loop at the beginning. But, nobody likes sound on their websites. I mean, no. unless you're clicking on a video, nobody likes auto playing sound. It's yeah. just universally hated. I submitted a uh, when Safari first came out with Apple. I submitted a. Uh, enhancement request that they put a mute button on safari yeah they haven't done it yet <laughs> yeah no, it's, it, uh, it's a good idea and i hope that at some point we get that capability because it is extremely annoying yeah um dave any thoughts on this i mean uh, you know I, we've sort of beat this one into the ground um but i'm wondering if you've uh have you seen the new site I have, yeah. It it looks a lot better. That's about all I I, yeah. I can say. Yeah, that's basically my reaction. I I don't think it's perfect, but it's like so much better from where it was. That it's you know, even if it takes them a while to to iron out any last last issues. I mean, I, it's just you know, it's interesting. I would love to have gotten the backstory on the decision making uh, that was behind that and how that went down and how it was communicated to the people in charge. How off it was. I mean, because it was pretty universally disliked as far as I could tell. I, I saw a few people saying that they liked that design, older design with the big, because it was bigger and easier to read. But generally speaking, it was seemed like people with this 
thought that it was insane what they had done. And um, so to see them change course, I think, is is interesting. Maybe uh, we were a little too quick to uh, to judge their decision making process based on based on what we saw. I mean, they they did these. They have gone back and fixed it, so it's saying something. Well, I'm, I think it's it's great that they obviously listened. You know, I don't know if, if it was that they listened to the outpouring. I'm sure they read because I know that their PR folks read VT. And they read all the the invective that was all over the place. But uh, if they if they did that because they listened to people, you know, good for them. If they did it because they listened to the stats going into the toilet, well, good for them for that too. So hopefully, it was a combination of both made the point, and they they moved to get it fixed. Right. So um, another piece of um, win related. Uh Ephemera is a New Yorker piece on Roger Thomas. Roger Thomas is the executive vice president of design at Wynn Design and Development. He is uh, basically the full-time designer uh, for Steve Wynn's empire. We've had him on this show before. He's an all-around nice guy. And, um, you know, we find that this week's issue of The New Yorker comes out, and there is a long, pretty long piece on Roger and his career and um, sort of some of the things he's done in in the design world, and you know, it was I I really enjoyed reading it, and but mostly I was it was really nice to see it. I mean, I, I feel like he's um, an incredible artist that deserves every bit of recognition he can get, and he's just a really nice guy. Um, so to see him recognized like that, especially in you know a prestigious and really great great uh, periodical, I, I just thought it was fantastic. Um, Chuck, did you read the article? Yeah, I certainly did. I ran out and bought a bought a copy at the newsstand to uh, to cuddle with. Um, I I I thought the article was was fan friggintastic. Uh, I'm a big Roger fan. Uh, I love him as a guy and as an artist. He's a real wonderful person. The thing that struck me the most was uh, he described. He gave me goosebumps when I read it. He described uh, uh, Roger being like his his frazzledness was uh, right. slightly controlled, right. and it, it reminded me of when I was sitting there having coffee with him at the uh, the Encore lobby bar, and he was put together smashingly as you'd expect, you know, with his blue eyes poking over the top of those lavender spectacles, <laughs> and his hair was nicely coiffed, but he was wearing this kind of you know, threadbare periwinkle shirt, you know, and, and, you know, so he was like really put together, but part of him did have like a rough hewn kind of, you know, f- scruffiness about him that seemed like it was part of the mix too, you know, and I, and I was really great to see that the writer caught, caught up on, you know, Roger's details as, as a person. And so, so, so many of the stories, you know, about him fluffing up the, uh, the couch at the end of a hard day working in Elaine's new mansion. <laughs> he sits down and he realizes that the, the cushions are uncomfortable. So he gets up and he beats the couch back into submission, you know, that. And I had no idea that he was dyslexic as well. So I, there was a lot of really fascinating uh, things in there that were just great. If you're a Roger fan, if you dig, dig that stuff, absolutely fantastic and go buy the mag and support the uh, support the organization. 
Yeah, so Dave, I wanted to ask you, you know, a, a New Yorker profile on a casino designer. This has to be a first. I think it might be. You know, they don't usually feature those kinds of folks. So I think it's great for Roger, and it kind of shows how broad his appeal really is. Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's it, it's pretty amazing. I'm sure um, it was a lot of fun to do. And, I yeah, it's there are some interesting tidbits in there that um, I haven't seen elsewhere. So, yeah, I think, Chuck, you're right. If, if you're a fan, um, this is definitely something that you want to that you want to read because it uh, it was a fun piece, and um, you know talk talks a little bit about uh, some of the recent projects and and some of the challenges of translating design for other markets like China. I talked about painting a roof in a restaurant yeah. there the wrong color. Wrong color. The, wor- yeah. the workers wouldn't even go inside because it was yeah. bad juju. So <laughs> yeah. it's, it's some fun yeah. stuff like that. Yeah. That and the, the way he describes, you know, rooms, like the way he described the uh, the old high limit slot is very clubby, you know, <laughs> to how they wanted to change it to make it more ap- appealing to, uh, you know, uh, female players, a different mm-hmm. demographic, and how he is able to sort of see and do and make all these things happen. You know, it's it's pretty amazing. Yeah, it is. It is. It's some, it was some good insight into sort of his thinking yeah. about uh, how they come up with these concepts based on whatever the requirements are. I thought it was. I thought it was a really interesting piece. Yeah. Um, I wish. I wish Roger would seriously get down to the business of publishing his sketchbooks or something. You know, there's there's the uh, the Mondrian sketchbooks. I don't know if you guys have ever seen this, but they're like a series of paintings and sketches he did leading up to where he got where he kind of found that primary color lattice work mm-hmm. sort of deal that he did. You know, just you just see things evolve from sort of a squirmy uh, you know, through the course of a couple of years to really getting that rigid thing down, seeing the way he goes too far, he comes back, he comes in and come out. I would love, I would love to see sketchbooks going back from, you know, 1979 until right. today. It would be just amazing, amazing body of work. I, I agree. I mean, I think in general, the stuff that Wynn have in their vaults of designs that were not used, I think, would make an amazing book or whatever. I mean, I just there's there's got to be so much interesting stuff. Um, I well, I'm drooling just thinking about it. So, do you think they really have a vault of this stuff? Uh, I'm, what do you mean? I, well, I'm, I. It's not like Frank Zappa, you know, where they save all of the master tapes. This stuff um, just gets thrown away. They don't well, ever use it. I I don't know about that. I I mean. I did. I got a bunch of, of stuff that um, that when they were working with Jared on Bellagio that they did that never made it into the building, and they had kept all that stuff. This is a couple mm-hmm. years after it opened, so I, I don't know. I mean, maybe I don't know what the record keeping policy is, and maybe uh, maybe it's not very good. That would be a real shame if that's yeah. true. Um, but uh, I got. I don't know. I I maybe I'm just being hopeful, but I I would <laughs> love, love to see. Uh, whatever they have locked away someday. I doubt that'll ever happen, but it would be pretty great. You know, it's interesting. 
we were talking about the Lady Luck, and I think in that New Yorker piece, Roger was talking about how he'd worked on the casino there, and he yeah. was sad saying he was happy it was closed because he was not a fan of, you know, looking back at something that was so early in his career. Saturday Night Fever themed <laughs> casino floor. I never see that, man. I want to see. I wish there was photos. There's got to be photos of that out there somewhere. Yeah, there's got to be. <laughs> Uh, but I just thought that was uh, a fun, a fun note that I uh, that I did not know. So, yeah. Um, I want to talk a little bit about the plans and just the fact that we learned this week that the Playboy Club, which is part of the Fantasy Tower um, up there on the uh, near the roof, um, is going to be closing. And I just think, you know, this is is interesting. The Palms has gone through some changes, personnel changes. Um, George Maloof and his family, you know, the the founder. And really, I would I would say uh, you know the person in charge of really defining where the property was going is through some financial reorganization is less involved though he is still uh, I believe his title is what chairman, um, but they've had some changes there and this is the the latest in a long string so I'm wondering how is what's the story here and I, you know is this just like they the contract was up and they couldn't figure out a way to renew it or is this a shift in strategy or another another you know sign in a new major strategy shift away from um sort of a, a reliance on nightlife and celebrity culture which, which really made the palms famous uh in you know in the years after it opened so i don't know dave do you have any opinion on that yeah i don't think it's a shift away from the nightlife and celebrity culture when i interviewed maloof for the 10th anniversary he said that they were going to be doing stuff to kind of revive the nightlife and bring that back i think that this is probably more you know you'd have to look at playboy itself and what they're going through you know i'm not sure but i don't think the magazine business is doing that great especially with kind of magazines that they sell you can get a lot of that in line for free if you know where to look i think right so i've heard <laughs> so you know i can see how the magazine sales might not be booming and they might not you know maybe they want to get more money than they had gotten before maybe they're desperate so it's kind of tough to say you know i think in general they're still promoting the property the same way they've shifted a little bit with some of the giveaways for the locals or you know they're giving away a lot of tchotchkes now to try to get people in there, but I think it's the same focus, that split focus of locals during the day, uh, video poker, that kind of stuff, clubbers at night. And, yeah. you know, from his, what he was saying, they were going to invest more money, they were going to redo rain, they were going to put money into the clubs, they were going to do more stuff with the uh, pool and try to revive that and also shake up some food and beverage things. So I don't know, I've not heard... You know, that shoe hasn't dropped with the food and beverage shakeups. So I don't know. Um, yeah. I know I just did a story about them that will be out. Jeez, it should be out today in Vegas 7 about them and the partnership with MTV for spring break. Mm -hmm. And what I drew from that was that it was very important with them to contract with MTV and Student City. I think that's the name of it. Student City, which is a student travel group to basically fill the hotel from – Tuesday of this week to Friday of this week with spring breakers. Hmm. And, you know, so they're kind of outsourcing that and saying, hey, bring your people in and let's get them in there. So that they're still going after that same market. And um, I talked to one, I think the GM or VP of the nine group, I forget which one, but he was very bullish on MTV and that demographic. And so I don't think they're going to be walking away from that anytime soon. Um, Chuck, 
You retweeted a tweet from Hugh Hefner, is that right? I can't remember what it said, though. It was on this topic, wasn't it? Yeah, Hugh Hef, well, obviously, he's not tweeting. But right. uh, somebody using his account, PR Funky, uh, with enhanced keyboard technique, <laughs> <laughs> um, basically said, uh, yeah, guess what? The, the Playboy Club is closing. Uh, it's going to move to a different place in Vegas and uh, mentioned that it was closing because of the change in ownership. So uh, that, that makes me kind of disagree a little bit with what Dave says. Of course, he talked to George, not me. And I'm just, I'm just kind of, you know, but then again, George, you know, if he's George's the chairman, they basically say, okay, man, sit in that chair and that's it. He doesn't do nothing. Else, right. And they pay him a dollar a year. Oh wait, um, well, George, yeah. no, so I don't know, man. I, my my guess is that the the plans is on the the fast track to total rewards, uh, and it's it's going to be that. Well, the thing is, is that isn't I might be misremembering this, but doesn't George Maloof now control the Nine Group? Uh, doesn't he have that control over the? the restaurants and the clubs now. Yeah, I want to say yes. So, yeah, I'm thinking it might also be something like that, and this might be outside the purview. So it might be that the Palms guy, you know, that the Leonard Green folks are saying, yeah, let's cut back, and then him with nine is going to be let's go forward. So I don't know. I mean, I would definitely like to be inside there. All I know is that I've been told. You go. It could be be that... that, uh, you know, George might be nining the Playboy Club. That's he sees true. he sees a space within there where he can get his pockets filled again. Right. You know. Yeah. So he's sure. gonna play that it's, game. It's interesting because it's the opposite of the MGM, what you've called the Westfield Bellagio approach. Right. So it's exactly the opposite. They're actually taking it back. So. Right. I think that's interesting. Yeah. No, it is. I, it's, I think, you know, the Playboy Club is, I don't know if it ever set the world on fire, but it was, you know, prominent name, the the logo affixed to the outside of the building. I mean, it... Uh, set my pants on fire. It got a lot of, got a lot of <laughs> press. I don't, you know, I, so it's interesting to see that it's closing. Will it move? Will it actually successfully move? You know, people always say that, right? Oh, we're going to be reopening real soon. Um, I, I don't know. Maybe it will, but I, I wouldn't so, be surprised if we never er- see it again. Where do you think it ends up? Um, that's a good question. If I was just going to guess, I don't know. If some, I can imagine a bunch of different things. I can imagine it like going into like Monte Carlo and <laughs> being incredibly misplaced. The in- D. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know. That's a that's a good question. I could. It depends on. Yeah. I think it would really come down to what kind of um, terms that they really that they need to make it work. Because I think a lot of the bigger operators don't need them. And so if the terms are, are too onerous, then they would just be like, yeah, whatever. We don't, we don't want it. But I think, you know, there's a lot of examples of that kind of stuff in other places, stuff like Margaritaville and Toby Keith's I Love This Bar and Grill and Rodeo. Um, <laughs> so I, I – yeah, I mean I guess it could reland. Right. I don't – but as far as a, a top prospect, I don't know if I have a good, a good guess. Hmm. Um. One more topic I want to go to, which I thought was interesting, but uh, maybe – well, I'm curious to see what you guys think. And that's this um, Canner Gaming who operates sportsbooks in, all over town now. 
um, announced that they're going to be taking credit cards for their vets, which is, I think, interesting. Um, the article sort of talked about cashless society in general and how event, pro, you know, speculating that eventually um, we'll be doing this at slot machines and maybe even table games. I mean, I, as far as I know, Dave, please correct me if I'm wrong. This is actually against the law to do for a slot machine now. Like, you, you can't put an ATM machine into a slot machine. Is that correct? You can't. Right. You can't. It's not, the, rigs, the rigs do not allow it. Um, do we think that's going to change? I mean, the, I guess the sort of the thinking there is if you make it too easy for somebody to lose their life savings, like if you literally attach the credit card, it's like, it's like might as well just attach it to their vein and start, you know, sucking the blood right out of them. Is, is it too easy at that point for somebody to, um, you know, go overboard and, uh, you know, lose more than they really wanted to when it's just all digital and there's no... There's no money, actually, physical money changing hands. I mean, is this are, – are we going that way? That way? Is this going to change at some point in the future? I think it will. You know, I tend to say you could make the same argument about putting stuff in your tab for the room, and I think you can blow a ton of money putting stuff in your tab. Remember Chuck had that story about the guy – Yes. With the girl staying at the place of the Cosmopolitan. So, you know, now does that mean that you should never be allowed to use your credit card to for charges in the room? Probably not. I think generally, you know, I'm one of the people who thinks that we are moving towards a cashless society. We're definitely moving that way. The trend is that way. And I think eventually you will be able to use your debit or credit cards in gaming transactions. But I don't think we're going to get there anytime soon because there still is that kind of knee jerk, like, oh my God, you can't do that. Right. You know, and I think it'll probably happen in other countries before it happens here. Interesting. Interesting. Chuck, do you. So that means you we're going to. Yeah, that means eventually we're going to see like a new retro gaming thing where people are psyched to use ticket in, ticket out <laughs> machines on the second floor at the D. <laughs> probably, you know. And then, well, here's another. <laughs> Feel the paper. Feel the barcode. <laughs> Here's another really interesting thing. I was doing some research and looking at some old gaming magazines from the 80s, some trade journals from the 80s. And I think it was 1985 or 1986. Headline was, Cashless Gaming is Here. Huh. And they're like, the system is ready. We're ready to install this right now. And th this was going to be totally cashless. This was going to be credit cards. You would load money onto your player's card and use that. Right. No ticket in, ticket out. Totally cashless. And, you know, the system's here. It's ready. They're going for regulatory approval. As you know, even ticket in, ticket out took another 25 years to happen. Right. So this is not an industry that always embraces change. And, I mean, you know, when you're – and this is something I've said before. When you're paying for parking meters with your credit cards and you're using it at that level, you know, I don't know – how long it's going to be before you're so using it for gaming transactions. Is this, I mean, are we going to get rid of casino chips at some point? Are you going to be making bets with like a little touch screen that's well, attached that's, to some smartphone account? As you, you know, you, as Chuck saw, that's what shuffle master has that eye table yeah. where they're doing, you know, that is kind of the plan. Yeah. Well, it's like rapid roulette and rapid mm -hmm. craps and all those things. There's no chips. Right. It's interesting. I mean, you know, there's a, a whole lot of history and nostalgia associated with this stuff. I think a lot of customers would um, push back on that, but it may be inevitable. It may just be the way, and it may take a long time, but it may be that that is just what we're eventually in for. I mean, when you think about it, you know, even carrying a bunch of chips around uh, isn't, you know, they can get lost and 
there are you know all kinds of problems associated with them. Yeah, this is this is a dangerous thing though, because if if there is not really lockdown security measures to keep somebody from using your card, right? You know, so they really really know that it's you, then you know you're going to basically gamble and then dispute the charges. You know, that's another thing. I wasn't there. I didn't do it. It wasn't me. My son, you know, somebody took my card. I lost my card. I lost my wallet in Vegas. Right. You know, you go and blow 5,000 bucks at the poker slots, you know, and and you're done. Yeah. No, there's definitely a lot, um, you know, a lot of ways that it it could go wrong. I mean, a lot of those kinds of issues would have to be worked out. And again, that might be why it's a while before we see this stuff deployed. Dave, I think it's interesting that you're saying that we may see it somewhere else first. Um, if you had to guess, I don't have a good sense as far as other jurisdictions and how sort of forward thinking they are with technology. Is there one that stands out in your mind? Macau, Singapore? Nothing does. You know, and I don't, I would not see this in Macau because of the nature of the gambling there. I think right. it definitely yeah. has to be pretty much cash yeah. business. Less paper, the better. Yeah. But, you I, know, I would think maybe some European countries, you know, they seem to be a little bit ahead of the, uh, yeah. you know, ahead of us where a lot of this stuff happens. So You know, it, it might be smart to keep eyeballs on the Barona joint by San mm-hmm. Diego because they've always been very much at the beginning trend of a lot of technology, ticket in, ticket outs, and the uh, hand pay on the floor and a bunch of other kind of technological right. advances. They've been ahead of the curve on most of that stuff. Oh, that's a good point. You're right. Um, I think we're done for the day. I think we're going to wrap her up. We're going to do move on to our Sure Bets segment. This is where we get to recommend something to you in the audience. It may or may not be related to casinos, but that is something that we want to share with you. And uh, we'll go around the not round table to uh, not round not table to, um, to make some suggestions. So, Dr. Dave, I'm going to start with you. Do you got something for us today? I do. I've actually got two things. First thing is the latest edition of the Vegas Gang podcast featuring an interview with Hunter. Ah. Really great stuff. Um, and thanks, Hunter, for all the kind words. And, you know, just really, I learned a lot of stuff about him there. And I've been working with him on this podcast for a couple of years now. So really good stuff. Really good stuff. The second thing is a book called Tap City. It came out in 1985, and it's a little bit of an interesting story. Um, it was – the guy who wrote it, Ron Abel, was a journalist up in Oregon, was a writer up there. He wrote this novel about a poker tournament, seven-card stud tournament at a Reno casino coincidentally called the Taj Mahal, a fictional casino. And this was, of course, before the Trump Taj Mahal opened back in 1985. So – I read this book about two years ago and thought it was a fantastic book. I reviewed it on my blog, just thought it was great. Actually got a snail mail letter from the author a couple weeks later. Um, he apparently was not a big guy with the internet and said, a friend of mine, you know, found this and, you know, found this review on the internet and thanks so much. You know, I think it was the only book he had published. He had another book that he never got published. And we talked a little bit and I said, well, you know, if you can get the rights back, you might want to look at publishing it yourself and, you know, e-publishing. Blah, 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 blah. Um, about a week or so ago, I got a, uh, 
email from his brother who told me that unfortunately Ron had passed away a couple of months ago. But since the brother was a little bit more web savvy, he had just published it in the Kindle store and had e-published it. So it's now available. The book is called, it's by Ron Abel. It's called Tap City. Really great book about poker and also does a really good job of capturing Reno and the whole milieu there of poker in the 80s. And if you kind of follow the poker scene and know the big poker players of the 70s and 80s, you can see a lot of the people are kind of thinly veiled versions of actual uh, famous players. But, you know, really recommend this book. You know, when I read it, it just totally blew my mind and fantastic book. And it's available now for the Kindle for two ninety nine. Nice. So no excuse not to get it. Nice. That's a great tip. You know, it's speaking of poker, I saw a trailer for some new poker documentary, I guess, that's coming out soon. I can't remember the name of it. I'll try and put it in the show notes. But um, if for, for folks that are poker obsessed, you probably are already aware of it because it was like Matt Damon was either working on it or – uh, producing it or whatever, but um, it's you know always interesting to get more of that stuff and to have good sort of fictionalized accounts of that stuff. That's fun. So I'm glad that you uh, pulled that one out for us, Dave. Um, Doctor Monster, what about you? I got nothing, man. I got a whole big pile of absolutely nothing. I got zero, zilch, nothing, nada. So Chuck is Ooh, recommending that you take the week off, that you relax. <laughs> And that's exactly. Always, it's always good advice. Yeah. Enjoy yourself. Um, yeah. Well, that's always good advice. I, you know, Dave, thanks for mentioning the um, interview episode. I totally forgot to to do that. That's the last, the most previous episode. It rounds out our uh, little series where um, each one of us got a turn to explain uh, why we exist. And uh, so it was fun to do. I thank Tim Dressen for uh, being the interviewer. And um, yeah, so thanks for listening to that. And if you are curious, you can find it in the feed or on the website. Uh, and then I guess back around to me, my sure bet is you sure could have seen this one coming. Um, the <laughs> iPad, new iPad, iPad. Uh, Apple released a new iPad last week. And um, they, much to some people's chagrin, they did not call it the iPad 3. They just called it the new iPad. Uh, so, you know, when you listen to this in 10 years, uh, you will never know which iPad it is. By that time, they'll be on, you know, iPad 32. But um, anyway, I've been really enjoying it. I'm a big fan of the iPad. I know there are a lot of people that uh, either don't see the, the use for it, they don't see how it fits into their lives, or they or maybe they've got some other tablet that they like. You yeah, know, that's fine. I think the iPad's a great device, and I think um, – you know, this one, the screen on this is pretty amazing. Someone said, uh, someone summed it up like this. He called it the Medusa device. Don't, if you look at it, don't look at it. Cause if you look at it, you're going to want to buy one. And I, the screen is pretty gorgeous. So, um, anyway, that, uh, is my sure bet. I'm a, I'm a fan. And, um, I think that's Hunter, it. Yeah. Hunt, you know what? I, I actually did have a thing. Yeah, I've, go ahead. I had, I had, when you asked me, I had forgotten what it was. And I do want to put my chips behind the interview you did for sure. Cause that was fantastic. Not only, you know, just to hear you guys, I was like sitting in the room with my pals, listening to you guys talk. I was actually talking back at you and you didn't answer me. So I think <laughs> it kind of was like I was in that podcast anyway, but, uh, I, it was, it was great. And you know, the part that really, really touched me was when you started talking about how, 
uh, hard it is doing what it is that we all kind of do. It takes a lot of work and energy, and sometimes you want to scream. And I, and that part really, really touched me, resonated with me, because sometimes I want to scream too. But uh, but I really appreciated that. Anyway, my my sure bet, and I had mentioned this on Twitter. Um, uh, it's the latest. It came out a while ago, I guess, but it's the the latest live thing from Rush, where they do they did two sets from their last tour, the Time Machine tour. The first set they played like some tunes, and then the second set they played the entire Moving Pictures album, start to finish. And I tell you what, man, those guys are great. They're great. They're getting greater now than they ever were. It's pretty amazing to hear them play that music. And some of those songs are, are, uh, you never ever thought you'd hear them live. They're pretty difficult to play and all that jazz. And, and the lyrics are are really amazing, man. Neil Peart is a, Peart is a great lyricist. I wish he'd put out a a book of the collected lyrics, but he's, uh, he's really fantastic, interesting, fun, thought-provoking things to say. So the Rush Time Machine thing is my pick. I'm sorry to, to be a slouch. No, that's a great one. That's great. Hello. Um, I'll make sure that to link, <laughs> link that one up so people can find it on iTunes or Amazon or whatever. Uh, Maybe you can edit, re-edit this to put my uh, answer in that other part. <laughs> uh, I can, whatever you'd like. Whatever you'd like. Um, I think... That is it for today. I want to thank everybody for being here. Uh, I will go around the non-table again so you can tell people where they can track you down if they want to learn more. So, um, Dr. Dave, let's start with you. Where can people find you? I'm at the virtual table in Captain Picard's ready room. (laughs) Excellent. Um, Chuck Monster, what about you? If I say fuck, are you going to cut it out? No, I never. (laughs) This podcast has an explicit tag, so... Okay. What? <laughs> That's it. <laughs> All right. Uh, I'm at DaveZizzle.com. Uh, <laughs> thanks and have a great weekend. 